In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. So an acre of soybeans is about $500. It yields about a $500 return. And if you're growing hemp for CBD, there's the potential to bring in as much as $30,000 per acre. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month. Plus, access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Jen Hobbs is with us, the author of American Hemp, to discuss this amazing cash crop, hemp, recently legalized in the United States as part of the 2018 Farm Bill. Hemp 
is a quite a miraculous little plant. It can be used as a fuel. It can be used as a food, as a medicine. It can provide shelter, clothing. Heck, it can even remove lead and other impurities from our soil. So why did it take so gosh darn long to legalize it? And in some jurisdictions, they legalized marijuana before they legalized hemp. And what the federal government had listed for decades, get this, as a Schedule One narcotic, right up there with heroin, folks. Well, it was finally classified as an agricultural crop, giving a great promise to the rise of a new American hemp industry. Now, here's what this new domestic crop can be used for, and we will discuss what makes it such a uh, an amazing and superior product and what made it illegal in the first place. We'll also talk about the many health and medical benefits of hemp. Jen Hobbs weighs in on how hemp can improve existing industries from farming to energy to, get this, 3D printing. Can't wait to ask her about that. Plus, how it can make a serious impact on climate change by removing toxins from the soil and by decreasing our dependence on plastics and fossil fuels. Well, you know my position on man-made global warming. That being said, pollution is a problem. We need to purify our soil. There's no question about that. American hemp lays out where we are as a nation on expanding this entirely new yet ancient domestic industry while optimistically reasoning that by sowing hemp, we can grow a better future and save the planet in the process. Jen Hobbs has been a publicity consultant for the greater part of her career. She's worked behind the scenes with Jesse Ventura since 2007 and shares his enthusiasm for searching for the truth, no matter where it leads. That's what we say on this program. In 2016, she co-authored Jesse Ventura's Marijuana Manifesto, which inspired this book. American Hemp, How Growing Our Newest Cash Crop Can Improve Our Health, Clean Our Environment, and Slow Climate Change. Jen Hobbs, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. That was a great intro. My pleasure. The hemp plant, compare contrast with the marijuana plant because they are different, but some people may not realize that. Right, right. And I think a lot of people might not realize that because of the way it's always been grouped. Uh, it's always been considered a drug just right up there with marijuana. And um, for some reason in our culture, we just haven't been um, educated about the vast differences between the two plants. Um, the major difference between hemp and marijuana, of course, is the THC content in the two plants. So, That's what makes you high, right? That's what gives you the right. buzz. Right, right, of course. So um, obviously marijuana has more THC in it than hemp does. And hemp, uh, the way that the 2018 Farm Bill defined it as an agricultural crop was that the plant has to have 0.3% THC in it or less. So um, when it comes to the genetics of the plant, um, because hemp has always been grown for different purposes than marijuana, the two plants do look different. Um, they grow completely differently. Hemp uh, grows more like bamboo. It, it looks more, um, it grows uh, taller than the marijuana plant does. Um, marijuana grows more like a bush. Um, the leaves are wider than the hemp leaf. And, um, you know, obviously they're also grown completely differently. Hemp is usually grown outside in a field. And marijuana is usually grown inside under very specific conditions. So that regulation that stipulates the hemp plant cannot contain any more than basically a third of a percent THC, mm -hmm. 0.3% of THC. That means, I mean, no matter how much you smoke, of the, if you decided to roll up some hemp leaves or some hemp flour dried, you couldn't get high no matter how much you smoked. Is that a fair statement? Right, exactly. So if you decide to smoke some CBD flour or uh, use some CBD oil, you'll get the benefits from CBD, but you will not get the high that you get from marijuana simply because there's not enough THC content for it to have that effect on you. 
Now, can hemp be grown uh, and cultivated if one wanted to in a certain way so that it had greater levels of THC? Or is that just the way that plant is made? It, it just does not have the THC uh, percentage in it. That's a really good question. So uh, typically, hemp is bred to have different properties than marijuana. It's usually used for uh, food purposes or for fiber, for making clothing or rope or plastic out of. Um, but you can crossbreed hemp and marijuana uh, to change the THC content and the CBD content. Now, you mentioned CBDs. We should right. talk about those. That's sure. Those are the cannabinoids, right? Right, right. There's actually a bunch of different ones. CBD and THC are, are only two of them. And they interact with our body, obviously, in different ways. But CBD, through all these different scientific studies that have you know been going on throughout the years, we found that CBD has anti-seizure effects. It can help people with multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's. It can help people who have severe pain, rheumatoid arthritis, people who have anxiety even or PTSD. And um, we're also seeing research into treating substance abuse such as opioid addiction and uh, alcohol addiction. Um, right now there's some leading studies going on right now to see that CBD can actually reduce dependence on um, on drugs like that as well as heroin and morphine now once upon a time maybe a hundred years ago in their little black bag doctors would come around and they would do house calls back then they would carry hemp oil in their bags right well uh, they had way back when 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 uh, it was part of the medical community yeah you could um, that was right around the time when uh, morphine was um, becoming more and more popular to use because they were able to figure out the exact dosage for it um, but yeah people uh, doctors did use uh, marijuana oil um, at that point we're not really quite sure what the content was in there um, how much CBD versus how much THC was in the particular oil that they used but yeah it was it was used for pain management so let's talk about this farm bill I mean we'll get into some of the other miraculous uh, qualities of, of hemp and I'm reminded of that phone call I think you had with your aunt in Texas who who uh, <laughs> who said it can do all these things it must be a snake oil it just right, sounds too good right. to be true it sounds too good to be true but as we'll discover it is not uh, so finally in December of 2018 I guess this was a bill originally sponsored in the Senate by Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell and we'll talk about why that's significant uh, but but what what was in this? This was part of a lar- much larger farm bill. It was kind of an omnibus bill, and then there was an, a, a a part of it that contained uh, or that pertained to the hemp industry. Just talk to me what about what that bill actually says. Sure. So um, just to give you a little bit of context about what the bill did um, in the United States. We've had something known as the Industrial Hemp Pilot Program since the uh, 2014 Farm Bill. And what that did was it um, allowed states to set up their own hemp farming programs. And usually what those farming programs did was to develop research with the hemp plant um, through a... uh, an um, academic university. So they were studying um, how to grow it, the best conditions to grow it under, what it could be used for, and so on and so forth, simply because it hasn't been grown in the United States for so many years. And since then, um, farmers have been saying, look, we want to really take this the next step. We want to take this to a commercial level beyond what we can do inside our state. You know, we need this to be federally legal. And every year since that um, industrial hemp pilot program was first initiated in 2014, uh, there's been legislation to um, pass something known as the Industrial Hemp Farming Act. And every year, um, you know, Congress puts it together 
and it never went anywhere. It died in a committee. Um, it was referred to, you know, the DEA or uh, the FDA, and it just never progressed. Because, so, because we should point out the FDA and the DEA, it is their responsibility to classify something as as a controlled substance or not. Right, right, right and, exactly. And, and prior to prior to this. Hemp has been lumped in, if people can believe this. Again, it does, it is, does not have really any psychoactive ingredients. Uh, it is, is, it has been lumped in as a grade one, uh, controlled substance along with heroin. Right, right. And it's just, it's fascinating that even, how that even occurred. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, once you, I mean, that was the whole point too of the book is to kind of show people that it is in no way, shape, or form a drug whatsoever, and never has been. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So once the 2018 farm bill um, came up for uh, Mitch McConnell, like you said, um, what he did was he took the Industrial Hemp Farming Act and he put it into the farm bill. And when they passed the Farm Bill, and the Farm Bill includes all sorts of things uh, for farmers, um, it handles everything from SNAP, which is our um, their their that's for our lower income families, um, all the way to crop insurance. Um, it's 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 a behemoth bill. <laughs> right. Um, right. And uh, so he was able to insert this into the bill, and what that did was it completely legalized hemp. It took hemp out of the hands of the Justice Department and put it into the hands of the Department of Agriculture as a crop rather than an illegal substance. Now, so this is the um, first time... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to ask, because marijuana was legalized not only for medicinal purposes, but but also for recreational purposes. Let's say, for example, Oregon. And I think it was basically back in the 70s, it became instead of time in prison, it, it became like a misdemeanor, like a hundred dollar fine. So right. what I'm wondering right. is, is it were states prior to this farm bill in 2018, were there states that had legalized it? And so what is the what is the difference here if a state, let's say, for example, Oregon, because they seem to be sort of ahead of the curve or California, or whomever, if they had decided to legalize industrial hemp without the feds saying so, could they have done that? Yes, yes, and there are states that have. Um, New York State actually is one of the uh, biggest supporters of the industry. They have all sorts of grant funding available to farmers, and um, that's something that they really want to see move ahead in upstate New York. Um, the the issue here, what really makes it different is because it's now federally legal, um, the farmers get access to all different services that were not available to them before, regardless if the state had legalized it. So in other words, uh, let's say you're a hemp farmer and you you want to have, obviously, a bank account. You want to have a credit card. You want to uh, have a loan or apply for crop insurance. You could not do any of those things because hemp was still federally illegal. And ah. all those services are run by federal organizations, the federal banks. Right. Makes sense. And I'm guessing also, uh, let's say you were able to grow hemp and let's say there was a hemp rope manufacturer in the same state, uh, you couldn't. I'm guessing you couldn't get an export license. You couldn't move it across state lines. Right, right. And that's another thing, too. I mean, it, it's just it's crazy to think that there could be two states next to each other that both legalized it. And just depending on their laws, uh, it might not be allowed over state lines. And now the federal government has okayed it. And it's, it, you know, you can cross state lines with it. Um, any part of the hemp plant can cross state lines now. Which is pretty big because, um, you know, even in some other industries uh, with interstate commerce laws, that's not necessarily a thing. Like, for instance, uh, wine manufacturers uh, can't always um, import their wines into different states depending on interstate commerce laws. Right, right. Uh, Jen Hobbs is with us, the author of American Hemp, How Growing Our Newest Cash Crop 
can improve our health, clean our environment, and slow climate change with a forward uh, by none other than Jesse Ventura. How was it working with Jesse? Because you wrote the forward for his marijuana manifesto. Well, yeah, we uh, we actually co-wrote that together. Um, we've uh, we've been working together for man, it's been over ten years now. <laughs> I uh, I did the publicity for his previous book tours, and um, he uh, he wanted to write a book about uh, his views on marijuana, and um, he knew that I was uh, you know he knew my position on it, and um, that you know my family was also at the time very much involved in it. My uh, my husband is a medical marijuana patient. We grew medical marijuana in California for a couple of years. And we teamed up together to write the book and it was a it was a great experience. He's um he's a he's a really great guy to work with. Is he still down in Mexico? He just came back actually. Uh, he came back last week. Uh, he goes down ah. there about six months out of the year and comes back up to Minnesota. Excellent. All right. He comes up for some air. All right. Now, I, I want to get back to just uh, we're coming up on a break here, but uh, we'll we'll start this conversation now and we can finish up on the other side. I wanted to get back to Mitch McConnell and, and why it's kind of significant that he would have been the one pushing this bill uh, from from Kentucky. And talk to me about what hemp can do for that state, which really it's big cash crop taken away from it was tobacco. Right. Right. So, um Yeah. Kentucky was that was their biggest cash crop, and um, now that obviously the need and the want for tobacco obviously has gone down quite significantly now, um, and they replaced tobacco with soybeans as their leading crop in the state. Um, but the uh, the industrial hemp pilot program in Kentucky has been in, has been increasing every year, and farmers can make you know leaps and bounds more um with with uh hemp especially if it's being grown for cbd rather than soybeans so for the state of kentucky especially since they have smaller farms than the national average um this is a really big deal for them because it'll really help small farmers we'll crunch some numbers when we come back jen hobbs is with us american hemp wait till you hear what hemp can be used for could it save america could it save canada we'll be back in a moment don't go away overwhelmed by investing if you're anything like us the hardest part is getting started that's why we created the investing for beginners podcast our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. We'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Andrew Gold, a fallen BBC journalist interviewing the heretics and rebels brave enough to speak out against mainstream narratives. Here's Coleman Hughes, John Ronson, and the Trigonometry podcast guys bringing controversy to the fore. How do you feel if a person of a different race moved in next door? I spent a while with a politically correct faction of the Ku Klux Klan. The system punishes people for wrong think. It's heartbreaking. Here's My Unorthodox Life Netflix star Julia Hart on getting out of a Hasidic Jewish cult. Why can't I be okay with being silent and subservient? Everyone else is. And biologist Richard Dawkins on trans activism. It's perfectly legitimate to say, I'm a man, but I feel feminine. But to then say, therefore I am a woman, is just a betrayal of language. Now it's your turn rebel against the mainstream and find a home in this sensible alternative space by subscribing to Heretics Podcast. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. 
Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. We all enjoy a little mystery. Every other week, one strange thing presents forgotten stories from America's newspaper archives. They all have something in common, a single element that can't quite be explained. Join us on One Strange Thing, and you'll hear about a man who was literally stricken with genius. A 21st century child who remembered piloting a World War II bomber. A mysterious, unidentifiable blob in Texas. And then there was the lizard man stalking through small-town South Carolina. From cryptids and disappearances to modern-day miracles, One Strange Thing brings you stories that are very real and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now, wherever you listen. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon-60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C, 172 times. ESS-60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS-60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS-60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS-60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast or go to c60evo.com slash richard hyphen serrett. C- c60evo.com slash richard hyphen serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day and it was good, good, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome back. And Jen Hobbs is with us. American Hemp, the book, and the foreword by Jesse Ventura. We were talking about the state of Kentucky and how hemp really could absolutely transform lives, particularly, you know, Kentucky farmers. And you mentioned you know, the, the tobacco industry, and, you know, rightfully so, it's, it's, it's falling by the boards. But at one point, as you point out, 600,000 acres of tobacco were harvested in Kentucky. That's 100 years ago. Uh, 100 years later, less than 100,000 acres. And now soy, soybeans, have become the leading crop in the state. But the return on the investment is pretty poor. What do, you, what do they get a farmer? What does a, a farmer get for an acre of soy versus an acre of hemp? Right. So um, an acre of soybeans is about five hundred dollars. It yields about a, fi- a five hundred dollar return. And if you're growing hemp for CBD, uh, there's the potential to bring in as much as thirty thousand dollars per acre. So um, that seems to be, I mean, obviously it seems like a very optimistic figure, but it's actually a pretty conservative one right now. Um, I mean, people can make uh, pretty much 30000 to five, uh, 30, $50,000 right. um, per acre. So, um, you know, and so obviously 100, 100, a hundred times, a hundred right. times per acre up to $50,000 per acre. Now, this is before expenses, but still. Right, of course, yeah. When you, As you point out, the majority of Kentucky farms are quite small, and so growing soy after expenses, you know, a family there might be left with, a, what, a pittance. Like, what's the average income for a farmer in Kentucky? You, you, you quote it in the book, and I don't expect you to remember that, but it's quite, it's quite small. Yes, yeah, it is. And the the problem, too, is that these small farms aren't really, they don't really get a lot of money from the USDA subsidies. A, a lot of that goes to the corporate farms. Um, and, you know, 
the the smaller farms, they're the ones that really need it. Um, I mean, if you have a giant corporation, um, it, you're you're making a lot more money, obviously, and uh, it, it's it's pretty odd the way that those are set up right now. So this is a way to kind of level that playing field and to help these people out, you know, who are um, farming's just been a generational thing. These are people that have, you know, uh, ever since whoever was the first to move to K- Kentucky, they've been pretty much been in the farming industry. Right, right. And there's so many farms that are that are falling by the boards because they just can't make a go of it. They, 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 these people don't take vacations. You know, they just work and work and work. And at the end of the day, they, they're, they're, they're underwater. Uh, so imagine a cash crop that could deliver $50,000 per acre. That's a conservative estimate. This could save the family farm all over North America. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, another thing too that's really interesting about Kentucky is that um, they they do a lot for veterans. Um, they're really trying to get veterans involved in in farming in general, and they have a program through their Department of Agriculture to help train and mentor um, veterans and to get them involved in farming. And there's a there's a path for hemp in there as well. Ah, okay. So um, I want to talk about why hemp was banned in the first place. First of all, when was it banned? Because we'll, we'll get into the, the history of hemp in the United States a little bit later, but when was it banned and why? So it's really interesting how it all came about. Um, in 1937, uh, we had this legislation called the Marijuana Tax Act, and that was the first piece of legislation that uh, really started to um, to put hemp next to marijuana and to change people's perception of it. Um, so, you know, that particular piece of legislation was meant to um, put put a drug, I guess, you know, start the whole drug classification of, of cannabis as a whole. Um, so at the time, the United States didn't want to just outright ban something. So what they did was they were able to turn it over to the IRS, to the Department of the Treasury at the time, and they were able to come up with a tax for marijuana and lump in hemp in there as well. And um, what they did was, you know, if you were a doctor, if you were a producer of marijuana, um, if you were a farmer of hemp, uh, you had to pay additional taxes and um, report all of this to um, the Department of Narcotics. And um, it was just something that turned people off in general from being involved with the industry as a whole because, you know, this is also at a time when um, the economy was not that great, uh, you know, and uh, it was just a risk that a lot of uh, farmers didn't want to take, particularly with hemp. So, so 1937, uh, 80 right, years right. ago. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um so even though people at the time, a lot, you know, obviously farmers knew the difference between marijuana and hemp, and you actually can't grow the two of them next to each other. The hemp plant, uh, the way that uh, cross-pollinization works, it will take out the THC content in the marijuana plant. Um, uh, but that's uh, interesting. what they were able to do was they were able to say, look, you know, the two look so similar. They have the same types of seeds. They, you know, the leaves look the same. So, um, you know, it's going to be so hard for us to tell them apart, and we're just going to, you know, lump them together in this tax code. And the really ironic part about that is a couple years later, they needed hemp for World War II. Sure, so the was, war effort, was absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was rebooted by the federal government um, through a campaign, uh, and it was... Um, they allowed farmers to grow it again uh, without paying the taxes associated with it, 
And, um, you know, the, the Department of Agriculture came out and, and explained how to grow it, helped people with loans, helped build the infrastructure for it. Um, you know, they built all these processing plants so that they can, you know, make the ropes that they needed and the uniforms and, you know, just about everything in between. And as soon as the war was over, you know, it went right back to taxing it and, and making life even more difficult for these poor farmers. Um, I don't, I, I don't understand. Now, I mean, to de-incentify or uh, to, to tax it is one thing. Uh, but when did it become considered a class one or whatever the, the term is, a class one drug up there with, with heroin? How did it, how, how did that happen? So we talk about this in the, uh, in Jesse Ventura's Marijuana Manifesto. So what happened was, um, when the DEA, um, came to be a formal agency, they were tasked with coming up with the Controlled Substances Act. Uh, with Congress, and um, what they decided was, you know, what drugs go on that list, and they took the Marijuana Tax Act, which had cannabis listed, you know, cannabis and all its derivatives, um, and they put that up there as a controlled substance, as a Schedule One narcotic, right up there with heroin. So. Um, you know, when that when that act was passed in the 1970s, that's when it was, you know, formally, federally illegal, 100%, enemy number one in the United States. I mean, there's like a couple of ways of looking at that. One is they're just being awfully lazy, like, well, we can't be bothered to figure out the difference between cannabis and, and or marijuana and hemp. They both look alike, which they don't. Uh, so there's that. They're lazy. Or, or two, maybe not terribly bright. I, I don't buy that. Lazy, yes. Uh, or three, is there some, I mean, this is the conspiracy show, but I mean, I'm wondering, was the people that were built, the, the people that were manufacturing nylon rope or the people that were manufacturing clothing out of cotton? In other words, was there a cotton lobby or a nylon rope lobby that, that was trying to get hemp out of the picture? Definitely, definitely. So um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, William Randolph Hearst. He was oh, uh, yes. one of the yeah. So he he built the one of the. You get me the pictures, and I'll supply the war. <laughs> yep, <laughs> he built one of the largest uh, newspaper chains in the country, and um, you know he always viewed hemp as his uh, biggest competition because he had his own um, source of lumber for for paper. Um, and he was, you know, he was able to lobby um, the uh, people that were coming up and and um, and uh, formulating the the Marijuana Tax Act. Um, aside from him, there was also um, Andrew Mellon. He was um, the uh, director of the, so he was the director of the Mellon Bank, and he was also the secretary of the U.S. Department of Treasury. And he was also a private banker who was financing DuPont, which was a rising petrochemical and pulp paper company that's still in existence today. So obviously, a commercial hemp industry would, they saw it as, as jeopardizing their lucrative chemical patents. Right, um, right. So uh, Andrew Mellon, actually, uh, what he did was he... Um, he took his son-in-law, uh, Henry Anslinger, Henry Anslinger, and he uh, put him as the first commissioner of the Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics, and that's now <laughs> what is the DEA, right? So right. he said, "Hey, you know, you need to make some money for me." So, um, you know, why else would the Federal Bureau of Narcotics be placed under the Treasury Department, right? If if the right. United States can't turn a profit by taxing drugs. So that's right. essentially what it was for. Um, and now, you know, obviously the, the DEA is under the Justice Department, um, but it's just so interesting that it was founded just to make money for the federal government. It was just there to, you know, tax people and fine people and threaten people and, uh, you know, make mar- marijuana was the first thing they went after and helped. Uh, I- 
I, I wanted to just circle back to the, um, the, the, the claim that they couldn't tell the difference between hemp and a marijuana plant, and that's why they had to lump them together, uh, less, uh, you know, some innocent hemp farmers got swept up in a, you know, a marijuana raid. They didn't, you know, they were concerned about the poor hemp farmer. That's why they banned it. Of course, sure, that's it. But you point out in, in American Hemp, um, if that were the case, well, I'll let you tell the story, but it, it has to do with China because they grow hemp in China, but they have severe, severe penalties for marijuana. Right, right. And um, that's actually in the, the first chapter of the book. I go over the differences between marijuana and hemp. You know, they are both cannabis, but, um, you know, more and more we see the media referring to them as cousins because they are so different. And um, I go into some of the, the, the legal distinctions in other countries. And uh, China is one of them. You know, uh, in China, uh, it's, you know, hemp's been grown there for, I mean, I, I, I think uh, one of the first um, known pieces of writing uh, talked about hemp farming in in China, um, and you know if you're if you're caught with, um, you know obviously they they export it. They're um, getting into CBD now. Um, you know they they've been exporting um, hemp uh, seeds for years, but um, you know if you're caught with too much marijuana, that's considered the death penalty over there. So yeah. let, so clearly there are two completely different legal structures in other countries. Um, and they've been, you know, it, it's, it's really just mind-blowing that uh, we weren't able to, like you said, either it's laziness or it's something else. But, um, you know, we go at, we've been going after both of them equally. And and before the the 2018 farm bill, when it was illegal federally to to grow not only to grow hemp but to manufacture any products made out of hemp, uh, you know you that shirt is made out of hemp. You're going to jail, seriously. But yeah. there was a there was a thriving hemp import business to the tune of what 700 million dollars or something in the United States. So you could import oh, yeah. hemp products, right? Right. Right. And that's always been, you know, another thing that um, farmers in the United States are like, you know, what is going on here? You know, um, once, uh, obviously, when Canada um, legalized hemp and uh, started exporting hemp oil and hemp seed and uh, food-grade products, you know, the United States said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll allow that. And then that's obviously when United States farmers turned around and said, okay, well, well, why can't we do that here? Now, the other thing that uh, befuddles me is why we have a number of uh, states that have uh, legalized medical marijuana. Uh, some have basically, uh, well, they have, uh, they have uh, legalized recreational marijuana. And yet they did that before hemp was even legalized. One would think governments uh, tend to be very conservative. I'm talking small C conservative. They move slowly, in other words, and cautiously. You would think if they were going to legalize anything first, it would be the plant that that is not a drug. And yet that's not what happened. Why? Right, right. It, it's, again, something that just defies logic to me. Um, Colorado is actually the only state that went ahead and did both at the same time. Um, other than that, you're right. Everyone, uh, all the states have chosen to uh, differentiate it, which technically, yes, they are completely different. Um, but they go ahead and legalize, you know, what is considered uh, either they do it as a recreational drug or a medical drug. Um rather than what is now defined as an agricultural crop and a commodity in the United States. Um, so it, it is very strange. Uh, I, I agree with you 100% that um, they're, you know, they're both put up there as a Schedule One narcotic. So you would think that that would be the greatest way to do it. You know, oh, you treat these two things exactly the same? All right. Well, we're legalizing one, so why don't we just legalize the other one at the same time? And um, 
like I said, the only state that's actually done that simultaneously is Colorado. Uh, well, who, who ever said that governments and common sense have anything in common? But uh, I'm wondering, you know, we hear these horror stories, and they're true, about people that are rotting away in some prison. I'm, I was going to pick on, I love Texas, but I was going to say in some Texas prison, but, te- you know, uh, and I'm sure there are, for, you know, possession of some marijuana seeds. Uh, you know, this was the, the trillion dollar war on drugs that has filled the prisons with nonviolent drug offenders. I'm wondering, are there some, is there someone out there in jail given some ridiculous sentence for producing hemp or growing hemp? Do we know of? Um, I don't know anyone in particular. Um, and I think, you know, there, there are people that are, um, that are having some issues. There, there's some uh, some farms that I mentioned in the book that um, the DEA uh, has gotten involved with. And I mean, at this point, all the cases are dropped because it's now right. federally legal. Um, but there were some cases where um, a farm wanted, to, you know, they they couldn't get the the seeds, so they got it from another state, and the seeds crossed state lines and you know the DEA was ready at the you know at the like ready to uh you know to bring bring the law down on these people for for just trying you know they have all their permits everything was you know uh approved by the state that they were in for the industrial hemp program and instead of importing the seeds they they uh tried to get it across state lines and and they got in trouble for it during the break, I was enjoying a little sesame seed snack. And imagine, you know, hemp seeds. You can snack on hemp seeds. Imagine, right. you know, being busted for and getting caught with a sesame seed snack in your hip pocket. That's what we're basically talking about here, folks, except you can't make clothes and rope and, and, and use sesame for sesame seeds for fuel, as far as I know. You mentioned Canada, and I just wanted to clarify because I'm not even 100% certain about this. Since we legalized recreational and medical marijuana, I still think you need to apply for an industrialized hemp license. It's, I don't think anybody can grow hemp. You still have to jump through some hoops. There are so, still some regulations in Canada. Yeah, so we do have a small right. hemp industry with the potential for it to grow bigger. But quite frankly, I mean, why are there any regulations? Right, right. And that that's also something, too, that I think um, a lot of the articles about uh, the Farm Bill kind of overlook is that, yes, they legalized it, but with stipulations. So you're still not in a – you're never going to be in a situation where you can just go to Home Depot and you can just pick out some hemp seed and grow it in your backyard and take out toxins from your soil. You know, uh, right now in this day and age, that's not a possibility. You have to apply – for a permit, it costs money. It depends on, you know, what state you're in, how much money it costs. You have to go through all these different, um, you know, different uh, regulations, the, the different processes. It's uh, it's per state. So when the federal government said, yes, we're taking hemp off of the uh, narcotics list, what they did was they threw it back to the states and said, okay, you guys decide what it is that you want in your state and how you want to regulate it. Um, so one of the things that farmers are going to be subject to is um, they're going to have to test it. They're going to have to um, test to make sure that the THC is below 0.3%, which is something I, I believe you guys do in Canada as well. Right. Um, and, and of course uh, it will be because because and of course it will be because that's just the way the plant is, right? Right, right. I mean, it, it varies per plant. I mean, you know, um, the, you're not going to get that 0.3% on each and every plant. Um, so there are, you know, there can be some times where there's one plant that has a little bit more THC content in it than another plant. But, you know, it, they're going to be low. And, and one of the other reasons why, too, um, is because, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the things law enforcement always says is, well, you know, what what if someone starts growing marijuana in the middle of their you know hemp field? How are we going to know? And that's not even a possibility because the way that the cross pollinization works, um, 
it, it takes the THC out of the marijuana plant. It makes it virtually useless for that purpose, for getting high. So, right, uh, right. One of the problems that we're actually seeing, especially in California, for instance, California um, is very slow to legalize hemp in general. Actually, there's some counties, uh, Sonoma County actually in particular, uh, just passed uh, an ordinance to say that they're not going to allow hemp to grow there until they're going to review it in 2020. Um, mm. And part of that is because, you know, marijuana in a lot of these counties is a huge um, economic driver, you know, legalized uh. recreational. And these marijuana farmers are saying, well, you know, that's all fine and good for hemp, but that's gonna, that can potentially ruin my business. And I'm not going to know until it's too late because you can't reverse that once that happens. Interesting. There's another provision in this farm bill that's kind of odd, and that is you can't grow hemp uh, if you have a, uh, a drug conviction. I think the, the time limit is 10 years from the conviction. You can murder right. somebody and grow hemp, but you can't have right. been arrested for possession of marijuana, for example. Right. It's, it's crazy. So it's only for drug-related felonies. So it's exactly what you said. Um <laughs> It's, you know, I mean, is it legal or is it not legal? Is it a drug or is it not a drug? You know, I mean, if you're going to say it's an agricultural crop, why can't everyone grow it? You know, why do, why does that even have to be there? And 10 years after your conviction date, I mean, at what point? It's like, you know, they already did the time, whatever it was. Um, right. You know, and, what, and what does what one have to do with the other? <laughs> Right, exactly. right, Listen, exactly. We're, uh, we'll uh, continue on and we'll, we'll go through all of the many, many benefits of hemp from the environment to health to fuel to shelter and so on and so on. It goes. American Hemp with Jen Hobbs. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. <laughs> <laughs>